0: Uh, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's, uh, it's been one of the great pleasures uh, of the last 10 years to welcome John Lithgow here to the National. In fact, for the second time, he, uh, he uh, performed his beautiful uh, one-man show here uh, a couple of years ago, uh, which had a tremendous impact. So it was marvelous that he was able uh, to come and, uh, and do the magistrate, which if you're seeing tonight, let me assure you, you're in for an absolute treat. Um, So I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to, knowing that uh, it's a rare event to have a great stage actor here uh, on the stage of the Olivier uh, in front of an audience uh, that doesn't know that much about his life story, most of the uh, uh, English stage actors you know uh, a little about already, Uh, I'm going to ask John Questions, which I've culled from his absolutely brilliantly written um, autobiography called Drama and Actor's Education, which I couldn't recommend uh, more highly. It's, a, it's a, a really beautiful book and fascinating uh, to read about the emergence um, of an American stage career, uh, knowing as we do so much about the way uh, English stage careers emerge. So, John, you were born in a suitcase.
1: I was. <laughs> yes, uh, a sort of Shakespearean shoot- suitcase, yeah. in fact. Quite an anomaly for an American actor. Uh, my dad was, uh, he was mad, mad about Shakespeare and uh, created four or five Shakespeare, summer outdoor Shakespeare festivals in Ohio when I was growing up. It was a kind of Shakespeare Walla in the Midwest, uh, one of these, the Great Lakes Theatre Company in Cleveland, is still going on mm-hmm. 50 years after he started it. And I was just a, uh, a kid sitting around watching rehearsals, befriending the actors, bit by bit playing Mustard Seed and the child, the prince in the, in the tower, Yeah. graduated to Nim, Pinch, Froth, all the little character parts, and then finally played great roles like Hortensio and Guildenstern. Yeah. All before I was about 18.
0: And your dad was a director primarily and, and also an actor?
1: Yeah. He was producer, director, actor. He was also an academic, which was kind of his... Uh, uh, it was kind of the burden he carried, falling between two stools. When he wasn't pro- professionally producing theatre in the summertime, he was scrambling around in the wintertime in various teaching jobs. We, we just moved all over the place.
0: Yeah, you, would, you, were, you were pretty peripatetic. You were yeah. constantly um, upping sticks and going somewhere else. That's yeah? right. Uh, and what was it like being directed by him?
1: Well, it was, uh, it was very much a, a family affair. He his, To give you some idea what his festivals were like, they were amazing, amazing things. But he would do seven Shakespeare plays, in repertory, opening one a week for in the course of nine weeks, with the actors rehearsing in the day and performing at night. So being directed by, by my father, it was kind of like being on a sports team and being told louder, faster, louder, faster. I mean, that's that was that was his fallback direction. He was actually a wonderful director because he he just loved Shakespeare. He felt all you needed to do was. Face the audience and speak the words outdoors, you know, for big crowds uh, it, without amplification in those days. Uh, so it was it was a very muscular and and uh, vocal Shakespeare version of Shakespeare, but there wasn't a lot of nuance. You know, now I've when I'm in a Shakespeare play, when you direct a Shakespeare play, minimum six weeks, an enormous amount of. Uh, first of all, uh, con- conception of the entire production, deep research, uh, uh, an a- extremely meticulous te- text study, absolutely understanding every near- uh, phrase, uh, a lot of attention to verse—all these things out the window. I mean, this was just—we oh! yeah. literally had six, seven days to put on much do about nothing, and,
0: and big houses. Did, did, yeah, the, oh, yeah. it was
1: incredibly popular. It was completely amazing. Uh, he produced every single Shakespeare play, many of them more than once. And uh, it was, his big, there was one that lasted between 1951 and 1958. That was his great golden age kind of summer Shakespeare festival at Antioch College in Ohio. And the people would park their cars around the huge square campus, and we as kids, you know, eight, nine years old, one of our games was to go around and look at the license plates and see how many states in the union had come, had made this extraordinary pilgrimage to spend a week and see seven Shakespeare plays. It was really remarkable. Yeah. And I, the, the growing up and becoming a sort of arrogant young actor, I thought, well, they couldn't have been very good. <laughs> But then, there, this, I describe it in the book, uh, uh, a prop man out in Hollywood who happened to be the son of one of the actors from that company who had pa- passed away, a few years ago, he sent me an audio cassette derived from reel-to-reel tape made of, of a production of Merry Wives of Windsor. And my father was Dr. Caius. And it was the boitine verte scene with, Dr. Uh, 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 with Jack Rugby. Jean, mon Dieu, Jack Rugby, un boitine verte, you know. And I listened to this. There was, in my car, I, I thought, well, I'll have a listen. I was driving to, to work, and I heard my dad in this outrageous, over the top, cornball French accent playing uh, Dr. Caius in Merry Wives. Merry Wives of Windsor in Yellow Springs, Ohio, getting enormous laughs, getting a huge exit round when he exited. And he sounded fantastic. I mean, it was like, they were just as good as I remembered, and probably better. Yeah. It was really amazing.
0: Yeah, so you never really had a chance of not being an actor?
1: Well, I didn't want to be an actor. I I wanted to somehow, avoid being an actor, but I was very, very serious about painting, curiously. Yeah. I mean, from as, as an eight, nine, ten-year-old, if people asked me, what are you going to be, I would say, I'm going to be an artist. And I was very serious about it and studied at the Art Students League, ended up in Princeton, New Jersey, in, in uh, access to New York at the end of high school. And I used to take bus rides on Saturday mornings to take figure drawing classes with actual nudes at age 16 i was i felt like a very serious artist and i was yeah not a very good one but a very serious <laughs> one and but then i went off to harvard and instantly as one does in college especially at harvard you fall in with for dear life you cling to a group where you're where you have a little bit of expertise and i was Immediately the star on campus. I mean, I was a very accomplished actor by pure osmosis. And if you're successful at something at Harvard, that's likely to be what you'll do with your life, yeah. whether you want to or not. So uh, that, that was the big, that was, you know, that, by that time I was 19 years
0: old. I can say that uh, you are still an enormously accomplished artist. John well. gives the finest first-night cards of oh. any actor I've ever come across. Amazing caricatures uh, of the entire company, rivaled only by Tony Sher, who's also... Uh, oh, does he uh, really? Tony's a, a, Tony is a wonderful artist oh. and also gives very good first-night cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. and, uh, I, I, I shouldn't really have mentioned that, but it's... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Nick, Nick now has two of them. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but um, uh, a, a talent... Uh, at that level, rare, um, amongst actors. i uh, d- uh, d- just... Well, don't. I always had a, f-
1: a facility, which is probably why I, why I wanted to be an artist. Uh, and that hasn't left me, but if if I had stayed with it, I would really be a, uh, uh, I'd be a good artist. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself one now,
0: because... Terrible stagehand you were. You tell a story about, <laughs> about being Marcel Marceau's stagehand. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Shall I tell the yeah, story? Please. <laughs> yeah, please. This was when my dad ran he was the director of the McCarter Theater at Princeton University, which he had a theater company there, but they also booked in remarkable uh, one-night stand acts and music, and, and one of the most popular was Marcel Marceau, who would come once a year, and they'd turn out in droves, and, and I would work occasionally as a stagehand, running lights or painting sets, and for Marcel Marceau, they asked me to, to raise and lower the curtain. And In the, <laughs> in the uh, tech rehearsal, which of course, Marceau and his producer and stage manager had done a thousand times, in broken English, they took me through exactly how they wanted the. And everything about Marcel Marceau's performance, as you can imagine, was unbelievably anal and meticulous. <laughs> as you know. And so for the curtain call, he wanted like five curtain calls, and he wanted the. You wanted the curtain to gracefully bounce, you know. And this was a gigantic, velour, old-time theater curtain. And I had to learn this new skill. Had, there were these two huge hemp ropes, and to bring the curtain down, you had to pull down on one rope. And it came down, and then you'd grab the other, and it would haul you up off your feet, and your weight would counterweight, and you could pull it, and the curtain would go back up. And when it was up, you'd switch ropes and pull it back down. And it was extremely difficult, but by God, I mastered it and was going up and down in rehearsal with Marceau's chabo. And the show was fantastic as it always is, and I brought the, the, the curtain down perfectly, back up perfectly, down, up, down, up. But it was extremely difficult. And by the third time, I was just exhausted and I pulled it down and it pulled me up and I fell off the rope <laughs> and I looked at the two ropes and the curtain was down, I had to pull it back up. I forgot which rope, I just started pulling on and I pulled and pulled and pulled and started getting easier and easier and I looked out onto the stage there was about an eight foot pile of curtain in front of Marcel Marceau who was looking at me like this.
0: Oh, that's terrifying <laughs>
1: I, I describe it as a mask of rage in the book
0: <laughs> um, and that was it for as far as being a stage yes, mission was concerned right. That's yeah. right but Harvard you uh, where you went on a scholarship, you describe in the book as the most active and creative years of my life mm-hmm. um, and the list that you make in your book <laughs> of the things you did in Harvard, I thought, you know, those of us who uh, frittered away our time at Cambridge or Oxford um, uh, had pretty impressive university resumes. Yours is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah,
1: you know, a nineteen-year-old directing Buchner's Wojciech. <laughs> wow. <What? laughs> like, what did I know about you know, murderous sexual jealousy and things like that? But yeah, I. The thing about Harvard is it's got this real sniffy attitude toward actual pedagogy in the creative arts. You know, it's a gentleman's institution uh, with a very 19th century. It's a little different now, but back in those days, a gentleman didn't study the arts. They occasionally practiced it uh, in an extracurricular way. And so there was a tremendous amount of activity, but it was unsupervised, more or less, or if there were faculty advisors, you didn't want to hear a word from them. Uh, we were all so arrogant, and we wanted to do it all our own ways. And it, as a result, total freedom, because they were also giving you you know, little budgets to put things on, and a beautiful drama center with incredible uh, uh, facilities. And yeah, I directed uh, Mozart's Marriage Figaro, I directed Stravinsky's uh, Soldier's Tale, and uh, uh, I acted Tartuffe, I did two or three Gilbert and Sullivan (laughs) operettas, uh, and played Gloucester in King Lear at age 18. (laughs) By chance, I happened to have John Gilgood's wig. He'd been in something in Boston and had let them have all of his wigs in there. I was at 18. John <laughs> Gildwood's wig for uh, uh, Virgis in Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs>
0: wow. And what about your decision eventually to become an actor? How did that happen?
1: Well, as I describe in the book, uh, a slightly heightened version of that moment of decision. I, I played King Paramount in Utopia Limited, a fairly obscure Gilbert and Sullivan opera. Raise your hands if you've ever heard of Utopia Limited. Not bad. Well, this is England, after I've, all. I've
0: been in it. Have you? What did you play? I played Fantis, a uh, tiny part, Supreme Court Scaffio and Fantas, yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah, so there <laughs> you go. Well, Got I was King common. Paribas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> take that, Fantis. <laughs> yeah, well, you're the actor. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, if you'll remember, all of you who know it, Act Two begins with that great GNS Septet with King Paramount singing the patter verse just as I do in the magistrate, with a hue, you know, with uh, three guys on either side of me doing a kind of uh, minstrel show in the old English music hall vein with tambourines and uh, drumsticks and things. Uh, it, it, the song was all about how uh, Britain, colonial Britain, has anglified this Polynesian kingdom. Uh, Uh, It really is surprising what a thorough anglicizing. We have brought about Utopia's quite another land in her enterprise. We have England with improvements which you dutifully offer to your motherland. It's the famous show-stopping number in Utopia Limited to such an extent that the director who had done the show a few times, he planned two encores. He said, you're going to need encores for this because everybody loves this. And sure enough, we we stayed, planned, and staged two encores. And it, that number ended, and everybody left the stage, and I was left on stage to begin the next. Well, we exhausted the two encores, and the audience kept on applauding. And, it, and there was nothing to do. Like we couldn't, we hadn't planned to do it any more than that. And the audience kept applauding, applauding, and, try, and they started cheering. And rah! it must have gone on for about 20 seconds, but it felt like about 10 minutes. And I always said it was during those 10 minutes I decided to come in <laughs> <laughs> It's Like, if you hear enough laughter and applause, you yeah. won't do anything else with your life.
0: No. So you came to London? Uh, I came to London after a, Harvard, on yeah. On a Fulbright scholarship and went to Lambda? Yeah. Uh, during great days for the London Theatre. Yeah. Yeah. A fantastic time. Yeah, what do you remember in particular?
1: Well, uh, the Fulbright, Fulbrights were given to two, a, a man, a boy and a girl in those days, to join the D group. Uh, those of you who know about Lambda know about the D group. It's a wonderful one-year program for overseas students, which is still uh, part of Lambda. I don't think there are two places assigned to Fulbright scholars anymore. So I came, back, I came to England. I had never been to England before. Uh, My father had never been to England, even though he devoted his whole life to Shakespeare. I had studied English history and literature at Harvard, again, without ever being here. Uh, And I just had an amazing time. It was like swallowing an English academy training horse pill. what do I remember in particular? Just everything. I mean, it was amazingly rigorous, like 9 to 5 every day, with the afternoon given over to rehearsals. And these incredible voice lessons, diction lessons, uh, choral lessons, historical dance, movement, uh, fencing and tumbling. Uh, exactly what they're, they're... They're going through the same motions they just went through it today, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lambda Rada Central. It is the and back in those days there was no, there was no equivalent training like it in the U.S. Uh, nowadays, it, actually, there are some very fine drama schools mm. in the U.S., but they are on based on the the uh, British model. I think. Yeah. So I just I just thought it was wonderful, and I. Uh, uh, the only, I, I just went there this week, actually, Thursday morning, to, to speak to the students, as I do, you know, periodically when I'm in London. Uh, it was an interesting moment. One of the kids, it was a Q&A also, one of the kids asked, at the end of my year at Lambda, did I have any regrets or disappointments? And I said, I'll tell you my disappointment, but let me demonstrate it. This was 250 kids all squeezed into a common room. I said, all of you in the D group, all of you Americans, raise your hands. And this little group of about 15 kids all raised their hands, and they were all together. And I said, okay, now, all of you who are from Britain, raise your hands, all the hands went up. And I said, well, there you have it. Get to know each other, you know. I said, that's your, if you learn, if you take nothing else away from our 90 minutes, you know, you Americans, you're in England. You know, make friends, get to know each other because it's true. David Suchet was a student at Lambda the whole time I was there, and I never met him. <laughs> I worked with him about ten years later, and we became friends ever since. I never met him at the whole time it was lambda i, I remember seeing him. Mm-hmm. you can't miss david Suchet but i i never I never met him mm-hmm. so
0: and then when you when you're um stage career started, I think. You, you went initially back and, and worked for your dad, I yeah. think. But then, a spectacular Broadway career. Do you think your London training, your London training, uh, was central to the career you then had on Broadway?
1: It was, but for a curious reason. Uh, my first Broadway show was a play that I had, I, I had a lot of trouble getting any acting work initially. I, I worked for my dad and then felt, I've got to do this on my own. Went to New York and was, couldn't get an acting job for two years. When I finally did get one, it was a terrific rep company called the Long Wharf Theatre outside of New York. And the second play we did was an American premiere of David Story's Changing Room, which got tremendous national press and was brought intact to Broadway. And that was my Broadway debut in an English play. It opened on March 7th, 1973, and on March 25th, I won a Tony Award for it, Mm. surely the quickest route to a Tony from a Broadway debut in history. And after that, that was literally the last time I struggled to get acting work, and that was 1973. The next six things I did in New York were plays from England. I mean, I was just an equipped American actor to do British plays, including you know, I was a Manchester milkman in comedians. I was a, a Leeds rugby football player. I was an Irish coal Stoker in Anna Christie, uh, on and on all these. I was a, 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 a Anglican priest. and I, everybody thought I was an Englishman. It got me off to a wonderful start, but at a certain point I felt enough of this. I've got to show people that I'm an American. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, I had brought home an English accent without even knowing it or wanting it, and I had to obliterate that, and that was not an easy thing to do.
0: But, but do you think you were acting differently from from any of your uh, from any, from any of the Americans you were you were acting with? Did you notice that they were? Uh... You know, just to use a shorthand, more methody, and you were more technical.
1: I, I get, I think so. I mean, in, in a very general way, mm. and I think that's still somewhat true. Um, but I was this odd case anyway. I mean, I'd grown up being in twenty Shakespeare plays before I was twenty years old, so mm. uh, I was already a kind of hybrid English actor. Mm. Uh, my, my challenge always has been to sort of. Uh, Prove that I'm an American, at least in those early days.
0: Mm. And you worked with um, some—I was going to say some um, Broadway legends. V- virtually all of the Broadway legends. I mean, you, met, you mentioned as four that you were particularly bowled over by Mike Nichols, Jose Quintero, Bob Fosse, and Meryl Streep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's a that's a pretty impressive list of colleagues.
1: Well, you know, it's. Uh, Theater is, is a wonderful community, wherever you are. I mean, I'm a stranger to the uh, community of London theater, but the New York theater community is very small. Mm. And if you are a regularly working actor, yeah, you, you eventually work with just about everybody there that you want to work with. Mm. Um, The interesting thing is how generational it is. There was a 14-year period when I did not work in New York because my kids were growing up in Los Angeles. My wife is a uh, university professor in, in Los Angeles and six of those 14 years was Third Rock from the Sun, a long, long commitment. When I finally went back to New York theater, it was in 1988 in M. Butterfly, and it was like I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody had moved on. Yeah. It was kind of, it was kind of
0: creepy. Yeah, uh, it, I think it, it's one of the single biggest differences between the New York profession, the American profession, and the British profession. Is that everybody's in London here? Nobody, yes. N- nobody, nobody. You call you call your dual careers dual citizenship. Los yeah. Angeles and and, and and New York. But I, nobody ever has to take out dual citizenship here. That's you, true. You just. Uh, you're just a citizen of the, of the one community, I yeah. think, throughout your career.
1: And it's extraordinary. We, yeah, there are two or three people in the magistrate who are doing television jobs while we're uh, doing the show. Yeah. Nancy Carroll is doing a, a radio play on Wednesday. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great uh, and, and enviable because LA is a completely different world. Yeah. I'm one. I'm one of the few actors that bounces back comfortably between the two, yeah. and they even have homes in both places. Yeah. Uh, but that's very hard to sustain, and it's. I mean, it's. It's not an easy thing. I always seem to be in the wrong city, the opposite city from my wife.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. It's
1: a oh, huge it's pleasure good. to have you here. Thank you. So <laughs>